great to be here. That's a good introduction. Thank you, Dave. Could have said it better myself. But anyway, <laughs> no, it's great to be here. And uh, it's always great to, um, to have a change. Usually I'm doing worship, so it's always good to be doing a bit of preaching for a change. And uh, it's always great also when you've been, given, uh, you've been given the option to choose whichever subject you wish to talk about. Um, so I hope today what I'm going to talk about resonates with us as a congregation and to us individually. Um, you may, if you, were near, if you were here near Christmas last year, I did a preach and I left the, uh, the title of my preach at the end of it. And that's what I'm going to do today. So hopefully maybe you can kind of guess what it's going to be towards the end. But I wanted to start with a little bit of a quiz. <coughs> so I don't know about you, but in my, uh, my, ho- my house, and when I was growing up, for Christmas time, we used to have these traditions where me, my brother, and uh, my cousin, <coughs> forcefully, I was to say, we had to put on a Christmas concert for the whole of the family. And we would start from September, and we, I know it's sad, I can see some people laughing. Yeah, little did I know that my wife would be watching video clips of it in like 10, 20 years time from then, so, but that's, anyway. So yeah, so we used to have these times, we used to sing songs and do all these things that uh, our crazy family did. And there's some songs that are really quite personal to me, and they mean a lot to me, and this is a genre of music that maybe people wouldn't think that I would uh, necessarily know very well, but it's something that means a lot. So you've already got it on the screen. I'm going to come up with a few, I don't know if you can see it, but I'll read it to you. I'm going to come up with a few songs, and if I would like somebody, if they knew the title of the song, if they could just shout it out. Some of it's very obvious, so I'm going to read it. It's very hard to read the song without actually singing it, as you kind of get it. Yes, yeah, some of you are nodding already. So see if anyone knows the title of this song. We're going to hang it out the washing on the Siegfried line. Have you any wash, dirty washing, mother dear? We're going to hang out the washing on the Siegfried line, because the washing day is here. Whether the weather may be wet or fine, just rub along without a care. We're going to hang out the washing on the Siegfried line. It's the Siegfried line still there. Does anyone know the title? Yes, we're going to hang out the washing on the Siegfried line. If you get to the next one, this is a bit more difficult. See if anyone can know this one. <coughs> I'll never forget the people I met braving those angry skies. I remember well as the shadows fell, the light of hope in their eyes. And though I'm far away, I can hear them say, Sun's up, for when the dawn comes up, don't do the next slide. Does anyone know what this song is? What's that? <laughs> No. <laughs> we'll go to, the next, we'll go to the next slide. There'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs. Ah, see. We all know this song. Tomorrow, just you wait and see. We go to the next one, last one. We'll meet again. Yeah? Yeah. Don't know where, don't know when. But I swear we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through, just like you always do, till the bluebirds drive those dark clouds far away. Beautiful lyrics, aren't they? Vera Lynn, fantastic. What does this have to do with this morning, you say? <coughs> well, today we're going to be looking at a, a psalm. We're going to be looking at Psalm 24. Um, if you haven't got a Bible with you, I recommend that you just put your hand up and we'll get someone to bring you one, because, um, because it's so easy to follow, it would be great if you had it in front of you. So if you uh, keep your hands up, and, and we'll get some Bibles to you. But the reason I chose to do, introduce my sermon by these songs is because these songs mean a lot more when you actually understand the story behind the song, don't they? 
You know, these songs about uh, loved ones saying goodbye to their husbands as they went off to war, or, the, or when they were in war, and how they were dealing with the horrors of war. And when you understand the actual background behind the song, then the song becomes so much more personal and powerful, I think. My granddad used to sing to me, I used, my granddad was a sergeant in the Second World War, and often he, he died when I was 10, and we used to do loads of stuff together, and we used to sing loads of songs together. And uh, my favourite song was um, Show Me the Way to Go Home. And I used to think that was a World War II song, until I realised actually it was written about a person trying to, who's drunk on a train trying to get home. <laughs> but uh, that was something really personal to me, and I, I still sing it to my kids when I put them down to bed at night. But these songs were personal to these soldiers and these families at this time. And when you understand the stories of the songs, then the songs become more powerful. And I think sometimes when we approach psalms, we forget that actually some of the psalms, the majority of them, were written with specific intentions and written at specific times. And if we understand the times of which they were written, then the psalm becomes so much more powerful to us as we read it and we try to understand it. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 24, but the actual narrative of where it's taken from is from 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 15. Now let me just give you a bit of background before we read this, or you can, you can read it, you can keep up on the screen, it's totally fine. <clears throat> One of the main sort of storylines throughout 2 Samuel is the fact that the Ark of, of God had been taken by the Philistines during a battle. And the Ark of God obviously represents so many different things, also alongside symbolising the presence of God, and it had been taken from, uh, from Israel by the Philistines, and uh, it caused them no end of trouble, so eventually they sent it back to Israel. That's fantastic stories in itself. And it ended up in this guy's house for 20 years. And after 20 years, David was king and he had established his uh, capital city, Jerusalem. And he said, you know, enough's enough. Like, I want to be getting this, uh, the presence of God, the symbol of God's presence into the capital, into the sanctuary, where everyone can worship. It will be the place where God meets earth, if you like, and people can come and worship God there. So... And this is where our story begins, where David brings up the ark into Jerusalem. So let's just read it together. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Excuse me. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Now it's said from this uh, specific instant that David potentially penned several psalms. Uh, Psalm 15, 22, 24, 29, 30, 132 and 141. If you look at these psalms you can see where we kind of get this idea. But instead of making life easy for us, or should I say more easy for me, we're just going to be looking at Psalm 24 today. So let's look at Psalm 24. If you've got your Bibles, let's read it together. <coughs> A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend the, into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, 
and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Amen, exactly, yeah. And I think automatically we can kind of, kind of get a picture, can't we? We talk about opening up the gates, the gates of Jerusalem being flung wide open, open up the gates, welcoming the king. Obviously they recognised David as their king, but they also understood that there was a greater and higher king than him, namely God. Open up the doors, let him come in. And uh, I've come to a point where, like in... Um, in October, I'm doing my sort of uh, mini-series, and I'm going to be doing it on the Psalms as well. And I was thinking, you know, I could do, should I put this one into that series and do something different for today? But then I was looking at it, and I thought, no, I'm, I really feel like this is called, being called for us today, this, uh, this morning. And um, there are many things that we could choose from this psalm to make the focus of a sermon. If anyone's ever prepared a sermon, uh, one of the crazy things about it is you can take one piece of scripture, and you could present several different applications of it and you kind of got to choose the right the kind of application that you want or you feel like God is leading for us today I hope that makes sense I'm not trying to like make sense that we try and twist scripture at all but we can look at it and we can make it suit and make it look what we're trying to get out of it today but <clears throat> what I really want to focus on today is in verses three to four where it talks about um who can ascend the hill of the Lord he who has clean hands and a pure heart and uh, ultimately, these, this, the, uh, the psalmist who is writing this is asking two questions. Namely, who is able to come before the Lord God and who is able to remain in his presence? And this is an important question for us as Christians today, I would say. How can come before God? And reiterating a bit further, who can only come before him, but who can actually stand and remain in his presence? Well, before we get to that, I just want to look at how the psalm starts, really briefly, before we get dig into some scripture a bit further. <clears throat> so if we just go back to verses 1 and 2 and read it together. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And I think this is an amazing fact that David is first of all stating at this celebration, this declaration of who God is. Because he's making a declaration that God is a creator God. And everything that is in the world was made by him and belongs to him. And I think that means a lot to us as Christians, but also for those of us maybe who are non-Christians, or just maybe decided to follow Jesus. And we're being told throughout our lives that you know, we're just the result of some metabolic reaction or an accident. We're not to have any sort of meaning in life. It's just to get by and do the best we can do. But the Bible categorically just says, no, that's purely not the case. The first thing, and first and foremost of all, is that you are created, and that God sustains his creation every single day. And we see that when we look back in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and how God created everything, what did he say? It is good. When I was growing up as a Christian, I used to wonder, what was, you know, what was God's intention for Adam and Eve? You know, what could I say, you know, what was his idea for, ideal for their life? And I think the best way to look at that 
in the simplest way I can see, is just by looking at the Genesis before the fall even happened. And that's like they simply just walked and talked and communed with God, and that was what he liked. That's what God wanted. They enjoyed God's presence, and what is probably most craziest of all, God enjoyed their presence. You know, we've been to several weddings this summer, and it's great to see people uh, getting married and enjoying uh, people's uh, company. Uh, me and my wife, we've almost been married almost seven years. We've been together for almost 11 years. And uh, I'm still amazed that she even enjoys my presence, but she does. <laughs> and like, I'm still, you know, it kind of like, you know, she actually makes time for me. And that's like weird in itself. Because we're thinking, who would really want to spend time with me that they open-ended time where, you know, the conversation runs dry. But, you know, she does, and that's fantastic. But the fact that God would want that with us is pretty astounding, really. So the psalm, David starts the psalm by saying, God is a creator God, and you are valued, and that is everything that is encompassed in the world was created by him and for him. He then moves on to this point that we're studying today. <coughs> who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So we, he's declared how great God is and how majestic God is, and how awesome God is, as we've been singing earlier. But who can come before him? I want to make the focus gradually getting deeper in, in, into uh, a line, into a center. So we've spoken briefly about the overview of the psalm, and we're looking a bit more deeper and deeper, and we're coming down to this point where we're saying, what does it mean to be pure in heart? What does it mean to have clean hands and a pure heart? Because ultimately, when we look at the New Testament, we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes in and he's teaching about how it's not about, uh, the, it's not about the, purely about the works. People have made everything about what you physically do and it's not about the heart. And Jesus comes in and he says, no, it's not about that. It's pure, it is about the heart. Christianity is predominantly uh, all about the heart. Even Charles Spurgeon says, true religion is heart work. And we see that even in the Old Testament. We say, well, maybe that's just the new. The old is all about works. But here we see that's not the case at all. God is concerned about our outward deeds, but also what's going on inside. But the inward deeds is far more important and greater because out of the heart, we shall see, comes forth our deeds. Our deeds should testify to our heart, the state of our heart is. So going a bit more deeper, we're going to be looking, what does it mean to have a pure heart? That's the main sort of focus we're looking at this morning. So let's separate the two words. Let's first look at what we mean by heart. Today's culture is really interesting. <coughs> we have a lot of songs. Or if you get a bit the slide before, don't get that yet. Well, it's okay, you can stay on that. Today's culture is quite interesting because we talk about the hearts as if it's quite a flim-flammy, you know, sentimental thing. We have bands that are like 15 and 16-year-olds. Uh, sorry if there's any One Direction fans in here talking about how their heart breaks and all these different things. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm not having a dig at One Direction. Or maybe I am, but you know, let's, we talk about, they talk about the heart as if it's sentimental and if it's all about feelings and emotions. And that's not wrong in a way in today's culture because that's how we say things. That's how I express my love for my wife or for my child. I love you with all my heart, my feelings and emotions. But if we've got to kind of get rid of that idea or put it to one side if we want to understand what a biblical view of the heart is. Because the biblical view of the heart is so much deeper the biblical view of the heart is so much more than just sentimental feelings. You can go on to the next slide. 
The heart is not simply the seat of our affections and emotions, but the centre and source of every activity. Well, that everything stems from, including our mind and our will, it is the centre of our personality. Ultimately, when we look at the view of the heart from the Bible, and we kind of got to understand it's not just about our heart, our affections and our emotions. It's to see where everything else comes from. Wouldn't this change our view when we, or kind of give us a greater thing when we, when we sing songs like, Lord, I give you my heart. We know what we're really saying. And what we're really trying to perceive and we're really trying to offer God when we give it to him. However, the Bible goes, explains about it a bit more further. It also says the heart is the seat of all our troubles. Luke 6, 45 says, uh, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, the heart, the heart of all our troubles is to do with the heart. The seat of all our troubles is to do with the heart. And we can think that, you know, if you put man in a perfect environment, that all his troubles would disappear. But the Bible basically says that's not the case. Even in the Garden of Eden, where the environment was perfect, it, man still fell. Oops. In other words... The gospel tells us these troubles arise out of the heart as the result of the fallen sin, and at the end of the day, the trouble is to do with our heart. And we can see that clearly with most of the, everything in life that leads to wretchedness and all that sort of area of, of our life all stems from the wrong desire or an unworthy desire from a person or from a nation or from a group of people. Ultimately, it's our heart that is, God is concerned about. And we see that even more because we see in the Sermon on the Mount there's a direct parallel between this and Jesus. The sixth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So if Jesus is saying you've got to be pure in heart to see God, and David is saying you've got to be pure in heart to see God, we have to understand that predominantly Christianity is about, is about the heart. But let's get, uh, have a right understanding of it. It is the sea of all our troubles. But let's just move on to what we think of when we think of purity. See, there are two different ways of looking at purity <coughs> from the Bible. We can look in the terms of being undivided and by being cleansed. And I think this is sometimes the case within our lives as Christians, as we'll do undivided first. So let's talk about what we mean when we talk about purity in an undivided sense. You know, when we come before God and we have a heart and we say we want a pure heart, but it's undivided. We have to make sure that it has single-minded obedience to him. Why? Because when we go through our day-to-day experience, it's just typical, isn't it? We have one step in God, and we have another step out of God. We have one step we want to do with God's will, and another foot is just trying to go the other way. You know, it's like doing a spiritual hokey-cokey, and you don't know which foot you want to put in, or you don't know what you want to do. And that's kind of the case when we talk about having an undivided heart. It needs to have single-minded obedience to God. And one of the best pieces of scripture I think that really speaks of it is Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. We're meant to have a united heart that's not tainted by anything else. 
If we look at the other example of looking at purity by looking at cl clean, looking at cleansed. <coughs> so in other words, without defilement or without blemish. It has to be complete, without being tainted in any way by sin. This kind of purity. And an interesting comparison is if we look at uh, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See how it's interesting the different connections we have with uh, words when we talk about the Bible? We're talking about purity of heart and now holiness. Without, pure, without purity of the heart, no one can see God. And without holiness, no one can see God. So our hearts have been called to be holy. Why are they meant to be holy? By because God takes his home in his heart, in our hearts. Isaiah 57, 15, and Ephesians 3, 17. I love the way, like an old Puritan puts it, Thomas Watson, he says, if the body is the temple of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, the heart is the holy of holies. So how can we combine these two terms, purity and heart, together? Well, I think it's basically saying to be pure in heart is to have God as our greatest desire. To know him, to serve him, to worship him, to adore him, to love him. Not just because of what he does for us. Oh, I probably might repeat myself a bit later. But, you know, often we come before God and, and we talk about how great God is because of giving us salvation. And that is true. God is worthy of our praise and our worship because of the things he has done for us but ultimately God is also just deserving of worship because he's God and we are who we are and he created the stars and the sky and the oceans and everything that, and that alone deserves our worship and the fact that he would even consider us is just astounding fact in itself so how do we make our hearts pure Ezekiel puts it really well. well you did too I will give you a heart, new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your, you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, ultimately, when you become a Christian, God is working on your heart. And when you make that decision and you understand, like, I can't come before God because of, all the, because of who he is and who I am, and God says, that's okay. I'm going to work on your heart. I'm going to work on your character and who you are, that you will resemble me. And I think sometimes, and maybe some of us being here that's been Christians for a while, and we're like, you know, that's great, Jack, but I've, I know I've had the Ezekiel experience. You know, I've been a Christian for quite a long time. I've, God's been working on me. I can come before him. Yes, you can. And praise God that we can come before him. But I think the best way to kind of look at that is to go back to the analogy of the heart again. You know, a heart can still pump blood around the body, but it doesn't mean that the heart is healthy, does it? So even if we've been a Christian for however many long years we have, we are still meant to be seeking him. We're still meant to be seeking to have a good and pure heart, a heart that is after God's own heart. <coughs> the, uh, David then moves on from talking about this to then ending that kind of section with... Um, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
if you read that in your if you read that in Psalm 24. And I really love this bit. I really love how he starts off talking about how great God is. Then he talks about where we are and how we can come before God. And he talks about you as an individual. And then he goes to us corporately, us as a generation. who seek his face. Does that resemble our generation today? Are we a generation that seeks God's face? You know, I used to, I grew up uh, going to loads of Christian gigs, and one of the gigs I really enjoyed going to was Delirious. And Martin Smith is the lead singer of Delirious. And one of his gigs, he, get, he gets up and he says, you know, God, um, let us not be, and, he was, and this is predominantly a youth meeting that he was talking to. So you're talking like, I don't know, 24s under. And he gets up there and he's saying, you know, God, let us not be known as a generation <coughs> who built new churches and who made new rhythms and who invented new songs and who built all these different great buildings. But let us be known as a generation who are totally and utterly in love with you. And I think that says something for us today. We're meant to be in a place where we're actually seeking after God. And I think a better word, <coughs> not that I would comment or criticise David, but <laughs> another word that he uses anywhere, somewhere else is uh, pursue. Pursue God. And some of us today, we're not pursuing God. Well, even when I was doing this, I, I said to myself, does that really resemble me? And when I was talking to Candice, I was like, you know, doesn't feel that way sometimes like I'm pursuing God I'm cruising along just expecting God to meet my needs or I'm cruising along reading the Bible whenever I got five or ten minutes spare but pursuing is is making a physical effort to actually seek him so what could be the title of my preach well before I get to that bit I really wanted to kind of bring it back to David. <coughs> you see, after doing all this, David ends his, his the psalm by giving this mighty chorus about how great and how awesome God is. He starts with God, he start, then he moves on to us, and then he ends it with God. And the main message throughout this psalm that David's basically trying to send the connection between two Samuel is that the holiness and the sovereignty of God requires in his, worship, his worshippers to have a holy life inwardly and outwardly and that was expressed by his presence the symbol of his presence the ark being moved into Jerusalem we're shouting with praise see it doesn't matter what songs we sing in church you know as a worship leader you know you get interesting times picking songs and diff- it doesn't matter what songs we sing I'm, you know, I'm sorry for trilling toes but the lyrics are the most important thing it doesn't matter what beats or what chords or what chord progression yeah there are good and there are not so good songs I'll give you that (laughs) I'll let you have that but ultimately it's the state of our heart when we come to worship is the most important thing I just want to show you a video in a second if Ian wants to get it ready see when David, when he was writing this psalm, he was, had, he was trying to get to a great, the greatest understanding of the God he worshipped to the best of his ability. That the creator God would actually consider him. And sometimes we need to refresh our memory on how great God is. 
and we live in a good place, I think Weymouth is a good place, and you can look at the sea and the sky, and you're going to think, you know, there has to be somebody that's made this, doesn't there? There has to be something. So with that in mind, I just want to play you this video. It's three minutes. If I could get the lights turned down, that'd be great. Let's just watch this. that doesn't make us want to worship God I don't know what will (laughs) see David was trying to in the best of his ability understand the greatness of who his God was and yet we have even 
better th things nowadays in a sense to see the greatness, don't we? Telescopes, some of the things, to see the majesty of God and all that he has created. And yet of everything he's created, the stars and everything else, he chooses to have time with us. He chooses to create us. Us in his image. Before I get to the title of my preach, that I hope that you take away today, I want you to take away two Bible verses. These Bible verses have sort of made me, challenge me throughout my walk, walk as, a, as, a, as a man, going from a young, young Christian into, like a, into a man, desiring to be like God as, as, a, as a friend, as a husband, as a father, just as a bloke, basically. <laughs> the first is in 1 Samuel 13, 14, where it says that uh, David is described as a man after God's own heart. Does that describe you this morning? Is that a good description of you? This is the things I always ask myself. If someone was going to sort of write something on my gravestone, would they be able to say, you know, Jack was a man after God's own heart? Keep in mind what we've just been saying about what we mean when we talk about heart. It's not just the sentimental, emotional values. It's the very character, the very personality of who God is. And the second verse is on the screen. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts is completely his. Is my heart completely his? Is my heart completely undivided, without stain? Am I seeking that my heart would be completely his, that he would be my greatest desire? That the God who created everything we just seen there would be the God that I worship? That when I look out at the stars, or when I look out at the beach, when I walk past it, I would be kind of getting to some degree the greatness of who God is. So we all, if you move on to the next slide, we all have hard times and our focus moves from God but we're all called to realign ourselves and seek him in his face. Not simply because of the blessings that we discussed earlier but because out of all the universe and out of all creation he desires you is he alone who is therefore worthy and deserving of our praise, worship, and a heart that is completely and utterly his. So if I was going to make one point for you to take home, if you remember anything today, it would be the title of my preach, which is this. What's the condition of your heart this morning? Are we seeking God? Are we desiring God as our greatest desire? Or are we just cruising and relaxing in life? Are we coming to a point where we just want to rejoice in the greatness and the majesty that this created God created me, created you, loves you, wants to not just, he doesn't just love you, but he actually wants to spend time with you. It's your greatest desire that you would make time to spend with him. just want us to close our eyes for a second and just think about that what is the condition of your heart is it undivided 
Is it without blemish? Or do you need some heart surgery going on today? Do you need your character to be more conformed into the likeness of Jesus? As you think about that and keep your eyes closed, I'm going to do something we don't usually do uh, in this church, but I'm going to, in a moment, I'm just going to invite you, if, that, if you feel that is you, I'm going to inv- invite you to, to stand, if you're able. If you feel like you, your heart needs to be more completely God's, if you feel like there is blemish in your heart, or you feel that it's divided and you want to give single-minded obedience to God, and you want to seek God, that you would be completely his. And you just want to recommit yourself maybe to God. But you just want to say, right at this moment, this morning, I recognise this word that's given and I want to respond. If that is you and you're able to, I just invite you to stand and then I'm going to pray for you. No one's going to look at you. Everybody else will just keep our eyes closed. And we'll just pray. So if that is you, I just invite you to stand. Father God, you are the creator God. And for all of us, but for those who specifically stood today, who maybe need some work going on in their lives, and the only way that they could do it is by having the touch of you working in them. I pray that you would work on us, that we would be known as a generation who seeks your face. And these people here, Lord, as they stand, may you just bless them and may you refill them and may you give them a greater revelation of who you are so that they would be known as men and women whose hearts are fully and completely and utterly God's. And that throughout the troubles in life that we face, you are still the centre of their focus. And for the rest of us, God, we just pray that you would just continue to work on us. We thank you that we have clean hands and a pure heart when we become Christians. And we can enter into your presence. And we pray that we would learn more of your presence and enjoy your presence. And be inspired to just want to delve more and more into you and pursuing you in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to go into a time of worship a little bit now. Um, the song Majesty, it's one of my favourite songs.